Last week we looked at the promises of God to Abraham and we saw that there was a typical fulfillment of those promises in the Old Testament that our Lord Jesus Christ through his incarnation and his work in the New Testament brought in the spiritual realities of those promises so that there was a fulfillment of the promises also in the New Testament and that there will be a perfection of the fulfillment of the promises in the new heaven and the new earth. But when we looked at those promises of God to Abraham last week, there was one promise that we passed by. And that was the promise that is found in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. God says there to Abraham, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. The promise that he would be a God to Abraham and to his descendants. Let's look first at that promise itself, that the promise that he will be their God. We may call that promise the central promise of God's covenant. It's really the promise that he made to Adam and Eve in the garden, though it was not stated explicitly there. He uh, promised a, a seed of the woman which he would set apart for himself and to which he would give victory over the seed of the serpent. When he made his covenant with Noah, we read in connection with that, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we see a fulfillment of this promise, I will be your God, a very typical fulfillment of this promise in God's establishing of the tabernacle among his people at Mount Sinai and later on the temple. God came then and actually lived among his people. He set up his own house among them and he lived in that house, especially in the most holy place, and he even drew them into that house with him. They were symbolically represented in that house by the lampstand and the table of showbread and the altar of incense. All of those things represented their presence in God's house. So he was their God there in the tabernacle and in the temple. This promise, I will be your God, was uh, spiritually fulfilled in the New Testament with the establishment of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read about that, especially in Ephesians 2. In that chapter, God says first through the Apostle Paul that he will make of the two Gentiles and Jews one new man, and that then he changes in the last part of the chapter to a new figure of speech, the temple or house, and we read in verses 19 and following, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And this promise is perfectly and fully uh, realized in the New New Heavens 
and the new earth. Revelation 21, the first few verses of that chapter show us that. John sees there a vision. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So here we have the new heavens and the new earth. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. There's a specific reference, in fact, to the promise of God to Abraham. This fulfilled now in the new heavens and the new earth, as the tabernacle of God is with men, and he dwells among them, makes them his people, and is with them, and becomes their God. So we see that same progression of fulfillment in, with regard to this promise, as we saw with regard to the other promises to Abraham. Now, uh, I cannot resist at this point saying just a little bit more about uh, Revelation chapters 21 and 22, and there are especially two things that I want to notice there. That not only does this chapter show us that uh, the fulfillment of the promise, I will be your God, but it also brings uh, together in this chapter many of the promises of God. And so we have not only the uh, new temple and tabernacle of God among men, but we have the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, the bride in the Old Testament, that bride was the wife of God, as the prophecy of Ezekiel especially, and the prophecy of Hosea also shows us. This bride is Jerusalem. We have uh, the wiping away of every tear. We have the water of life in verse 6 of chapter 21. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And if you turn to chapter 22, verse 2, you also have the tree of life. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." So you have all these promises of God uh, gathered up in one here in Revelation 21 and 22, and we see the perfection of those promises in all these different symbolic ways. The tabernacle, the city of Jerusalem, the bride, uh, the water of life and the tree of life, and so on. And we see all of those promises together being fulfilled. It's a very beautiful picture, in fact, of the new heavens and the new earth and the inheritance which awaits us as the people of God. But the other thing that we want to see here in this these two chapters is that these two chapters so intertwine Israel and the nations, the Gentiles, that you cannot really distinguish them. They cannot be separated or viewed as separate peoples here. For example, you find in Revelation 21, verse 12, 
that on the gates of the city of New of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem, are inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. But a little bit later in this same chapter you find out that the uh, foundations of this city are the apostles. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So you have one city founded on the twelve apostles, the gates of which are inscribed with the names of the tribes of the people of Israel. The You have in that city, of course, the temple, or that city is equivalent to the temple of God. Uh, God and the Lamb are the temple and the light of that city, verses 22 and 23, that is, that Jerusalem. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The sun had no need of the sun, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Uh, the nations of the saved walk in the light of that city, verse 24. And we even read of Jesus, the king of that city, that he is the root and the offspring of David. The throne of God is there and of the Lamb, 22 verse 3. And then in 22 verse 16, as Jesus is bringing his visions to John to a close, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, to you these things in the churches I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. There's such union then between those Old Testament symbols and the New Testament realities that you can't separate them. There's such union between Israel and the Gentiles that you cannot separate them. They are one people inhabiting one city, dwelling in one house of God. God is the God of them all. The Gentiles are indeed the children of Abraham, the believing Gentiles are indeed the children of Abraham, just as those of Israel who believed in the Old Testament were also his children. Now we want to go back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, and look at the rest of that promise of God. For the promise that God made to Abraham was not just, I will be your God, but it was also, I will be the God of your children. I will be the God of your children. And when God spoke of the children here in this uh, chapter, in Genesis 17, he meant the little children. And he meant the little children because he instructed Abraham to administer the sign of this promise, the sign of circumcision, to those little children at eight days. That was a sign of the promise. And therefore, God was including within that promise, I will be your God, the little children who belonged to Abraham. And the sign of that inclusion in the promise was the fact that they were circumcised. They are part of the people of God. They participate in the reality of circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. 
They participate in the covenant of God, the promises of God, and all the blessings of God. And so as we uh, work our way through the Old Testament and look at uh, what God did in the Old Testament with children, we find him talking about the children of his people as a part of his people, as part of his promises as as participating in his promises as partakers of his blessings it's on this basis then that in genesis chapter 18 god uh, is uh, talking to himself about whether to reveal to abraham his purposes with regard to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says to himself, verse 19, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now notice the sequence of things that God says there. First of all, he says, I have known him. And clearly, this knowing Abraham is far more than just knowing about him. God has known him in the sense that he has had an intimate relationship with him, that he is (coughs) Abraham's friend, excuse me, that he is, in fact, Abraham's God. I will be your God, he says. And now he says in verse 18, I have known him. I am his God, he is my own. I have known him. But the result then, the next step in the sequence is that Abraham will command his children and his household after him. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. In other words, God has so known Abraham in this saving relationship this relationship of friendship that Abraham has desired to pass on to his children and his household, which included his servants, after him what uh, God had commanded him, that he may command his children and his household after him. And he will command them that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice. So Abraham will do this, his children, he will command his children to keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, and in this way, the Lord will bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him, that is, I will be your God and the God of your children, I will give you the land and all those other promises that we've looked at. So God is saying, I will work through Abraham to save his children, to bring his children into obedience to my commandments, to give to them the promises of the covenant, to fulfill to them the promises of the covenant, to circumcise their hearts, and to give to them not just the uh, earthly land of Canaan, but the spiritual land of Canaan, and all the other spiritual blessings uh, fulfilled in the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, and the seed of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. We can also look here at Genesis 25, verse 22. 
Here we see again God speaking of children, this time the children of Isaac and Rebekah. If we begin in verse 21, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. He's talking, of course, about Jacob and Esau, about Israel and Edom. Those are the two nations. The one nation is his people. It's the stronger people. The other nation is the weaker people, Edom. And it's the nation then that serves the stronger nation, the younger nation, the the nation of Israel. God is clearly, therefore, setting apart Jacob as his own child here, but rejecting Esau, as Romans 9 teaches us. Again, in Exodus chapter 20, this time in the introduction to God's law, God says in the beginning of his law, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Notice in the first place that that's a direct reference to his promise to Abraham. I will be your God. He comes to Israel and his law and he says, I am the Lord your God. He's fulfilling his promise to Israel. But then we find within that law a commandment that is addressed specifically to children. The fifth commandment. Beginning in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. He addresses the children, of whom he has said in the introduction to the law, I am the Lord your God. Therefore, honor your father and your mother. Not only that, but he speaks to these children in this fifth commandment one of the promises of the covenant which he made with Abraham, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that land which he had promised to Abraham. And Paul applies this commandment then to children in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And that living long on the earth is not a promise that has to do particularly with long life here in this world, but has to do especially with eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. So the promise of I am the Lord your God is spoken to them, and the promise of living in the land is also for the children of Abraham. Not only that in Ephesians, but remember that in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he addresses that church at Ephesus in verses, verse 1 of the, of the epistle, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints 
who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. The children who honor their father and mother are are part of these saints and faithful in the church of Ephesus. Another place that we read about children's inclusion among the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 10. Moses reminds the people of God and he, of what had happened in their history, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children who are among the people of God. Verse 40 of that same chapter, Deuteronomy 4, verse 40. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 2. We begin to read in verse 1, Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. The children, the promises also to the children just as before. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46. Deuteronomy 32, verse 46. And he said to them, Moses, that is, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. They are to teach their children because their children are part of the congregation of Israel. So that's some examples from the law of God, but let's look also at some examples from the historical books and the prophetic books. You remember the um, death of David's first son by Bathsheba. David said to his servants at that time, I will, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. He was looking to the promise of God, I will be your God and the God of your children. And he was expecting to meet that child again in uh, glory, in heaven. In 1 Kings 14, verse 13, we have another example of a child. Though we don't know the age of this child, 1 Kings 14, this is the story of Jeroboam, uh, the king of Israel, and his wife and son, The son became sick, and Jeroboam sent his wife to the prophet to find out what was going to happen to that son. And the uh, prophecy which the Lord spoke to uh, Jeroboam and his wife through the prophet was, All Israel, the child shall die, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel, 
in the house of Jeroboam. We cannot doubt but that this was one of God's own children, even though he came from an unbelieving and wicked family. Psalms 127 and 128 are psalms also that speak of the blessing of covenant children, of faithful children. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. Psalm 128 is another one that talks about children. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. And again, a little bit later in that same uh, psalm, Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The blessing is not just seeing children, but the blessing is seeing faithful, believing, obedient children. As God keeps his promise to his people, I will be your God and the God of your children after you. It's clear not all the children are included in that promise. Esau was excluded from that promise. David had unfaithful sons. Solomon had unfaithful sons. You read about many wicked Israelites throughout the Old Testament. Nevertheless, God maintained his promise to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children. And he continued to maintain that promise throughout the whole Old Testament period. Isaiah 8 verse 18 is another passage that speaks of children. Isaiah 8 verse 18 says this, Here I am, and the children whom the Lord has given me. And the Apostle Paul takes that and quotes it in Hebrews chapter 2. Here I am, and the children whom the Lord has given me. Isaiah 49 verse 25. Isaiah 49 verse 25. It's another one that talks about children. But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children. A specific promise about saving the children of the people of Israel. Jeremiah 32 verse 39. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. The prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 23, a very striking passage, in fact. God is here condemning Israel for their worship of idols and for their uh, uh, offering their children to those idols. Uh, I'm sorry, not verse 23, but, but verse 20. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom you bore to me. Notice that those children were born by Israel to God. And later he says, my children. And these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter that you have slain my children? and offered them up to them by causing them to pass through the fire. These were infants, usually, who were offered to these idols. God says of them, they were my children. 
the ones you offered. Ezekiel 37 verse 25 is another chapter that talks about this matter of children in the Old Testament. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Their children and their children's children, and notice this is a prophecy about the uh, New Testament times. My servant, my servant David shall be their prince forever. That's our Lord Jesus Christ as king of God's people in the New Testament. They and their children's children, then the subjects of that king, will dwell in the land forever. And Malachi 4 verse 6 is another one. These are just a few examples among many in the Old Testament. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. He's talking about saving children, turning the children's hearts to their fathers, and he's talking about turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. So in many places of the Old Testament, we see how that promise of God to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children, worked itself out. It was not just that they were a part of the nation of Israel then, They were God's children. They were among the people of God. They were participants in the promises of God. They had not only the sign of circumcision, but the reality of circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. They were heirs of the land and heirs of all the other promises of God as well. And when we come then to the New Testament, we find this same thing happening. The New Testament talks about children quite often in various contexts, and it talks about these children in the very same way that the Old Testament talks about them. We've already seen Ephesians 6, but there are many other passages. Let's begin with Jesus' own words to children in the Gospels and about children. We should look first at uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 15. Luke 18, verse 15. The disciples tried to prevent parents from bringing their infants to him. Verse 15, Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, that is the disciples, to him and said, Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. He says in so many words that these infants who are being brought to him by their parents are uh, citizens of his kingdom. Of such is the kingdom of God. And he blesses them because of that. In Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 37, in a different context, we find Jesus also talking about children. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Why is it that whoever receives one of these little children receives Christ? Because Christ is in those little children. That's why. 
Acts 2, verse 39, the very famous uh, words of the Apostle Peter to the um, believers on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 39, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise is to you and your children. We see this working itself out in a different way in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. Here Paul is talking about the situation in which I suppose many early Christians found themselves, the situation where one of the partners in a marriage would be converted to Christ and the other one would not. And so you would have a believer and an unbeliever living together as husband and wife. And one of the questions that arose in connection with that uh, situation was, well, what about the the children? Can the believing uh, spouse, in this case, take any comfort in the promises of God regarding the children? And the answer is yes. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. And I don't mean, I don't think that the apostle means there that somehow they're in a special category by themselves. They're set apart from the children of uh, two unbelievers, and they're therefore more. Um, Uh, ready for salvation, or somehow God is more ready to save them than the children of unbelievers. That's, That's not the point. The point is the promises that God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament, I will be your God and the God of your children, apply also in this situation where a believer and an unbeliever are married. And the believer in the marriage may take comfort that the promises of God apply to the children of the marriage. The children are not excluded from the promise of God because there is one unbelieving parent in the relationship. That's what Paul is talking about. In Revelation 12, we have another uh, very uh, beautiful picture. In that chapter, we see the woman who is the church of the Old Testament uh, in labor with the child. And when she gives birth to that child, the dragon is standing by, ready to devour the child as soon as it's born. But the child is caught up to uh, God in heaven and escapes the the, uh, uh, wrath of the dragon. And uh, the the devil, the serpent, is cast out of heaven by Michael and his angels. And then we read at the Uh, that's a picture of the Old Testament. Then we read at the end of that same chapter that this same woman, now the, the church of the New Testament, because Christ has ascended into heaven, now the church of the New Testament continues right on bearing children in the New Testament time. And so we read in uh, verse uh, 13, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And at the very end of that chapter, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring 
who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this woman is the church, and this church continues to bear God's children through both Old and New Testaments. The same promise that God made to Abraham carries right on into the New Testament. And this is why, then, we read so many times in the New Testament of household baptisms and household salvation. Acts chapter 11, verse 14. This is Cornelius, the Gentile. And we read about the instructions which the angel gave to Cornelius when he sent him to Peter, to call Peter to come to his house. And the words of the angel to Cornelius, according to Acts 11, verse 14, were, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. The promise of the angel to Cornelius was not just you will be saved. The promise of the angel to Cornelius was you and all your household will be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 15. This uh, chapter, verse is about Lydia. But notice what it says about her in verse 15. And when she and her household, notice that, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And in that same chapter, most striking of all these household passages is um, the words of the Apostle Paul to uh, the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer came, verse 30 of the chapter, to Paul and Silas asking, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer of Paul and Silas was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now the point here is not, as some try to make it, that there were children in that household of the Philippian jailer. That's not the point at all. We don't know whether there were children in the household, and it doesn't matter whether there were children in the household. The point here is that the promise of the gospel to the Philippian jailer is, when he believes, he will be saved and his household. And then we read in verse 33, immediately he and all his family were baptized. And then in verse 34, he rejoiced, that is the Philippian jailer, rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. But the baptism, the promise of the gospel was not based on this uh, believing of his household. The promise of the gospel by Paul and Silas came before his the believing of his household. The promise of the gospel is believe and you and your household will be saved. That's the promise that God made to Abraham also. Acts 18 verse 8 is another passage. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Why do the scriptures talk about Households believing, except to point out to us the truth that the promises of God made to Abraham are as applicable to New Testament believers as they were to him.
Therefore, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 talks about baptizing a household. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 16, Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And then in 2 Timothy 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul talks about the household of Onesiphorus, who was so uh, kind and generous to him while he was in prison. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Why does the Apostle wish that blessing for Onesiphorus's household? Because of the promise of God. I will be your God and the God of your children, the God of your household, if you will. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. And in 2 Timothy 4, verse 19, Paul talks again about this household of Onesiphorus. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. That household was part of the church of Ephesus where Timothy was serving as pastor. So in all these ways, the New Testament shows us God treating children and infants in the very same way that he treated children and infants in the Old Testament. The children of believers were his. He regarded them as his. In the Old Testament, he said to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children. And he says to believers in the New Testament, I will be your God and the God of your children. It's not that when the New Testament comes in, God has to come to the Gentiles and he has to say to the Gentiles, look, in the Old Testament, my promise was for uh, the believers, the people of Israel and their children, but that's changing now. Now the promise is only for those who have conscious faith, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for the children of those believers. There is no such disruption in the way of God's working with his people between Old and New Testaments. Yes, there are differences of administration, as the Apostle says in the book of Hebrews. But the promises are essentially the same promises The promise of the land, the promise of the seed, the promise of righteousness, the promise of all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus. I will be your God and the God of your children. It's a promise which New Testament believers should take hold of. And on the basis of it, they should have their children baptized. May God bless you with his word.